Welcome to Narrative Dissonance on Unsafe Space. I'm Carter Laren. I'm Juliet. <laughs> We're your co-hosts, and uh, Narrative Dissonance is a series in which we question the mainstream narrative with the generous help from our esteemed panelists. Although normally the show is live on Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, this week's episode is pre-recorded to accommodate the scheduling conflict of one of our panelists. So uh, for today, uh, for all of us recording today, it is Sunday, July 31st. Before we get, begin, please take a moment to make sure you're subscribed to YouTube. They like to unsubscribe people surreptitiously, so go double-check they haven't done that to you. Uh, and also, if you're able to, please head over to unsafespace.com. You can support all of our content there. You can also watch the live streams there and all of our releases there. And I think we're on Odyssey and Rumble. And I don't know. That's probably... That's, that's good enough. That sounds good. All right, so uh, let's introduce this week's alternative media panel. Uh, first, please welcome Barbara Kay. Since 2003, uh, Barbara has been a weekly columnist for the National Post and previously a weekly columnist for the Post Millennial. Since September 2019, she's also been a monthly columnist for the Epoch Times newspaper. Barbara is the author or co-author of four books, a biography, a cultural memoir, a murder mystery, and most recently a collaboration with Linda Blade on the destructive effect of trans activism on Canadian and international sport. You can follow her on Twitter at Barbara RK or go to her website, unsporting.com. Barbara, welcome. Thanks, uh, Carter. Nice to be here. Hi, Juliet. Hello. Good to have you back. Uh, and Barbara today is joined by uh, our second panelist, Mia Cathell. Mia is a reporter for Town Hall focusing on fact-checking, but I think actual fact-checking probably, and investigative <laughs> stories, and the former American news editor of The Post Millennial. You may recognize her from <clears throat> Carlson Tonight, Newsmax, bless you, Barbara, and One American News Network. <laughs> you can follow Mia on Twitter at Mia Cathell. Or you can go to townhall.com slash tipsheet slash Mia Cathel. Mia, welcome. Thanks for having me on again, Carter. <laughs> I'm glad that you guys, uh, Mia and Barbara, have a chance to be on a panel together because I think uh, I think of you as uh, two generations of similar reporters, basically. Uh, conservatives focused on doing a professional job and uh, getting the facts out there. Mia, you've said, I, I know you've written stories before that have been uh, run counter to some narratives that I was thinking specifically of the the ten year old girl you exposed some like oh it was a real rape victim and, and that kind of thing so um, so welcome to both of you Thank maybe you. Um, maybe Barbara let's let's start with you what do you think the most important story about which uh, the mainstream media has been misleading us lately. <laughs> Uh, well, actually, I, I thought of two that that appealed to me as uh, really uh, big-ish. I mean, it, the first one is big in Canada, but I think it's important uh, because it has implications elsewhere. And that is uh, the Pope's visit to Canada to uh, uh, as part of a reconciliation gesture with Canada's Indigenous communities. Uh, he came to apologize for the abuses in the residential schools, which were a feature of life here up until the 1990s. Um, and he, uh, he was very apologetic. Uh, and he, he actually uh, repeated a lot of, a lot of uh, claims that had been made as factual, uh, which were not factual. Um, and he called what happened at the residential schools a genocide. Uh, this was a kind of, um, this is a very contested term 
and has been for a year. There's been a tremendous amount of back and forth in our media. Uh, and uh, to me, this is a very important story because calling anything a genocide, a genocide is, is the worst it can be. Um, and so that for me was a big issue uh, because so many of the claims that have been made about the residential schools have little by little, uh, with a great deal of digging by honest researchers, uh, have proved uh, not to be, in fact, um, what has been claimed. So that was a big story for me. But I think the big international story uh, was the uh, closing of the Tavistock uh, Gender Identity Clinic in England um, on the basis of a report that uh, it was a not a safe place for children with gender dysphoria. So that that's, that's a huge story, which, by the way, uh, CBC, our national broadcasting service, uh, did not cover, or if they did, I couldn't find it through a diligent search. Um, they chose not to uh, not to uh, uh, comment on it or, or report on it, uh, mainly because they have been the biggest cheerleaders for exactly the same kind of approach to uh, gender dysphoria in clinics throughout Canada and have been promoting um, the narrative uh, that uh, that got the Tavistock Center uh, GI uh, clinic closed. So those are my two choices. Well, let's uh, let's dig into both of those because last time you were here, we talked a little bit about the schools in Canada, but I don't think the Pope was visiting at the time. Um, no. And I'm not sure everyone understands the residential school situation. And so I, we don't have to spend a lot of time on it because I know people can look it up. But just as a summary for people who don't know what you're you're talking about, what is the res what were the residential schools and why is the Pope uh, apologizing? The residential school system was similar to was actually based on um, and a copycat of uh, American residential school systems for indigenous children who would otherwise have gotten no education whatsoever. They were centralized schools whose intention was to give these children the tools, uh, mainly in the state's agricultural instruction, the tools to uh, make a living, to be able to make a living in an industrial society, which uh, they had not been trained for because they were a pre-industrial uh, society. And it was to bring them into the mainstream of American life. And and our schools in Canada were uh, pretty well copied with that idea to bring uh, Indigenous children who were too scattered all over Canada to have individual schools in every single area. Uh, so they were centralized schools in order that these children would learn A, would learn to speak English, and then would learn um, skills, skills to help them uh, be in the modern world, such as it was 100 years ago. Uh, the, the, the running of the schools was, for to a large extent, left to religious orders, such as uh, the Anglicans, but mainly the Catholic Church, which, of course, was very eager to, they had... Uh, uh, their their clergy were very eager to take on this task uh, because they were missionaries and yep. they were used to hard work and they uh, so as it came out uh, in the last couple of decades there were a great deal of abuses that went on in these schools um, 
a lot of it was physical, some of it was sexual, uh, some of the sexual abuse was between uh, the students themselves, but much of it is undocumented. And um, uh, so there's been a great deal uh, in the last two decades of what can we do to uh, to to make amends for, and that's been the general tenor, what can we do to make amends for what these many of these children suffered? I won't go into all the ins and outs of uh, what has happened, except to say that there were many apologies made, many, um, and uh, this one was having the Pope come in person, which is sort of an extraordinary thing to do. Uh, but the word, but but a lot of the claims that have been made about missing children, thousands of missing children, that they were horror stories, children forced to bury other children in the middle of the night. These are wild claims that have been made with no evidence. And in fact, uh, the students are not so much missing as nobody's bothered to check the records of their death certificates, which are very much there, if anyone had cared to check, and researchers who did check found them. Uh, so there's a lot of wild claims, and it's been elevated in the idea, in the minds of the activists, uh, to call it a, a, a genocide. Uh, this is a very touchy subject. Uh, because when you're calling it a genocide, our own prime minister has not only called it a genocide, a cultural genocide, but an ongoing genocide, which means that all Canadians are considered to be genocidaires, like uh, just by virtue of being here and living here. What's the on, what's the claim for ongoing? What backs that up? Well, he says that indigenous uh, indigenous people are uh, suffer from such terrible racism uh, oh, that that is is as if. Uh, we are still trying to, you know, kill the Indian and the child and and uh, erase them, uh, which is absolutely not the case. Um, so, so it's like using the word Nazi to describe someone who's not a progressive. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, yeah. and everything you're doing to them is genocide. Well, yeah. And basically uh, the whole residential school system had nothing to do with Canadians. It was a government initiative. Uh most Canadians up until a few decades ago had no contact at all with these schools, didn't even know, had very little knowledge of them or what went on in them. So to, to say that a whole nation is guilty of genocide on the basis of uh, abuses, some of which were known about, some of which have not been known about, and some of which are so outlandishly egregious uh, in their character uh, without any evidence whatsoever that they you know, you're, we're dealing now with an oral history that has been embellished so many times. Uh, but you're called a denier. And, and people like, I'm not one of the researchers I'm talking about. I only write the columns based on their research. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you say that it's not a genocide, you are now called a denier. And you're called that at the highest levels, a cabinet minister for the crown relations or relations with, you know, crown, between crown and, and, and indigenous peoples has actually called anybody, any researcher or anybody who writes about this and refuses to call it a genocide and, and says that it was far, very far from being a uh, He calls these people denialists and um, pretty well encourages uh, incitement to denounce uh, anybody that writes about it or speaks about it in public. You're supposed to just... Uh, sit back and uh, it's none of your business. It's, if, if they say it's a genocide, 
then it's a genocide. This is a hot topic in Canada. Can you just clarify for me, was that were the residential schools, uh, were, was it uh, forced? Were you forced as an Indigenous child to go? The, uh, they say everybody thinks that they were all forced to go. In fact, only about 40% of Indigenous children went to residential schools. The others, uh, children went to day schools. There were day schools in some of the bigger communities. Uh, the only children that were forced to go, every child that went, by the way, there's a, there's a signed uh, um, admission slip by the parents saying that they give consent. Um, but the only children that were actually forced to go were children that re- were removed from their communities or were orphaned or 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 their homes were so uh, so bad that they had to be removed from these homes. Uh, so very few children were actually forced to go. Most uh, were not only sent willingly by uh, parents, but many of them were happy to send them because it allowed them to continue their lives of fishing and trapping, which was, you know, they were traveling all the time, putting out trap lines and stuff. They were very happy to see their children there uh, and getting a good education. They understood that their children needed that education um, in order to cope uh, with the stresses and the demands of uh, of living in a world that they may not have wished to come to them, but it was there and it had to be, you know, they had to fit in somehow. Um, and, and many, many uh, Indigenous people have written either memoirs or testimonies to the fact that it was uh, the best thing that ever happened to them because they could uh, go on to have lives of dignity um, and comfort and you know, realize their, uh, their talents and everything else. So, um, but you're not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to say any of that because uh, this is the narrative. And it, I don't think it minimizes abuses to say that they were, I don't want to minimize abuses by saying, well, they weren't forced to go there. Obviously, if there were abuses, that's a problem. But is the, it sounds like the real sin, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it sounds like the real sin from the progressive uh mindset the real thing they're angry about is not so much the abuses it's the assimilation it's the idea that um that there was a a canadian culture was trying to assimilate the indigenous people yeah it's a revisionist it's a revisionist way of looking at uh indigenous peoples as if you know it's that whole noble savage thing like as if it was such a wonderful that that the, the horrible white people came from europe and uh, they 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 came to this Garden of Eden where everybody was like so happy, uh, and the, the minute they arrived and imposed their way of life, that's when everything started to go wrong. As if all you know everything was perfect beforehand. Um, look, empires happened. You know nobody's erasing history, and nobody's saying empires were great. But someday, sooner or later. Uh, as the Earth's population grew, people were going to come over here. And, you know, it wasn't like there was, let me see your passport. I mean, that in those days, <laughs> you, you went where you chose and you settled down where you chose. And who knew from nation states, you know, at that, at that time? Um, you can't go back in history and impose and say, Oh, but all cultures are equal and all cultures are beautiful. We know that. Well, maybe that's what a lot of people think in 2010, but it's not what people thought uh, 300 years ago. Uh, If you were technologically superior to another culture, 
then you thought you were superior because uh, that was how nations became more prosperous and more uh, advanced materially was through knowledge. And if you had that knowledge and scientific knowledge and everything, of course you thought you were superior to other cultures. Uh, but even if you didn't, even if you said, oh, these cultures are very different, um, well, maybe we can get along, which was, and they did get along to a certain extent. The, as long as the fur trade in Canada was busy, um, you know, there was work to be had and there was, there was like cooperation. It was when the fur trade fell off and when um, the buffaloes disappeared. And, you know, I mean, the, the indigenous peoples were going to starve to death if nobody intervened. And these residential schools were considered um, a kind of desperate measure not to kill. If they wanted to kill them, they could have just done nothing. If they'd done nothing, then we wouldn't have indigenous culture left in Canada today. Uh, but instead, they said, well, no, we're going to bring them into our orbit and we're going to teach them how. To... Anyways, that's that was the intention. Right. And then, yes, right. there were abuses. There were abuses. Yes. So uh, let me play devil's advocate for a second, or uh, I guess that's a f weird phrase because I'm talking about the Pope. Let me play Pope's advocate for, for a second. <laughs> um, what's wrong with saying, hey, I'm sorry that there were abuses and, you know, what's wrong with apologizing? Because once you apologize, you set yourself up for compensation. And that's what this is really all about. I, I'm sorry to be such a cynic. Uh, but a lot of this, a lot of the anger amongst the indigenous activists is is uh, very theatrical, but and very and very um, uh, purposeful, uh, because and and some of them have openly said no, an apology is not enough. We can't reconcile with, you know, what are you going to do about it? What now? You're sorry. What are you going to do about it? And they mean money. They mean money. Uh, the Canadian government has poured unbelievable billions uh, billions into uh paying off you know guilt money and um they've had i mean there's there's a ton of money available for whatever communities feel that they want to do um but uh i think i think that the pope apologizing again will bring him grief rather than uh, reconciliation. I don't think reconciliation um, is what's actually wanted by not, not, not by ordinary indigenous peoples. It's always about the activists and it's always about a uh, very few, but very, uh, very noisy and very, um, uh, very much deferred to and respected group at the top. And of course, uh, uh, there is, you know, they call it the Indian industry or the Aboriginal industry, and it is an industry. Industry. Yeah. Um, I was just talking to Adam Seuss from Rebel News the other day on um, on, a, on another show, and uh, he, he was saying that in a lot of times, these the activists that you're talking about don't actually represent the indigenous people at all really they don't represent the similar to how we would say uh the you know blue hair metal bits social justice warriors screaming at people don't represent american culture right uh <laughs> they don't represent most americans uh th those activists don't actually represent most of the indigenous people and often the money that gets funneled 
that's paid kind of we'll call it reparations or but the guilt money that gets that gets distributed often just goes to these activists or chiefs that actually don't distribute this to any of the the indigenous people in the first place and they don't really get anything out of this this is just all no, that's, very, that's very true that's very true and, what, and 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 when we talk about indigenous peoples as if they were like all in accord with each other that's there's like 60 different indigenous languages there's i don't know how many some some indigenous communities are maybe a couple of hundred people and they constitute what's called a first nation so a nation can be a hundred people it can be you know a uh, hundred thousand people like the cree or the the inuit and the and they all have very different cultures uh within the broad and some of them are are very happy to be working uh, to have work in the oil industry or in the, you know, they're, it's not like they're all these eco fanatics or, or they're painted with a, sometimes they're painted with one brush. I agree with you. And I do agree that these activists do not speak for a lot of people. A lot of indigenous people came to see the Pope. They were crying. They were, they were, they're, they're Christians. They're Christians. I mean, most 80% of them or more, they did convert. They are Christians. And this Pope is their Pope and they were very happy he came and they absolutely, many of them said this was a very healing thing for them and very, but, um, you know, our national broadcaster and, and other uh, mainstream media are very happy to push the idea that uh, uh, no, no, it's, it was, it was, it was our Chernobyl. It was our Holocaust. It was our, like they, it's almost like um, uh, it's like a like a, a competition, you know. Who's got who's who who has the most malevolent country? Like, where are whites the most horrible? And so, you know, it's like Canada saying, "Oh, you think America? Oh, because of slavery? Hey, look at us over here. We're really horrible." And here's our tragedy. Here's our national tragedy. And and. You know, you can call it a tragedy or you can call it a, this is history and how most history was made. Like if you look back in all of recorded history, um, there have been people suffered. Yes. Conquest. Yes. All kinds of horrible things happened, but there have to be gradations. And uh, this, you know, this is not the Holocaust. It's not a genocide. Um, it, it's, it was a difficult transition in history for indigenous peoples, you know, bumping up against, uh, settlers who came from a more, a more materially advanced culture. And that's, uh, some of this could have been avoided maybe. And a lot of it couldn't, it was going to, bad stuff was going to happen because that's history. Right. Right. I want to get to Tavistock, but before we do, I want to throw the the main questions back to to Mia to see if she's uh, got a different topic that that we should address. Mia, what do you think is the most important story about which mainstream media has been misleading us recently? Uh, you mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast, which is the ten year old uh, rape victim story that I mm. wanted to talk about because it really uh, became the center of national attention about two weeks ago when. The suspect was apprehended, and then now it's virtually disappeared from all mainstream media outlets, uh, mostly because the alleged rapist's uh, immigration status, which is uh, he's presumably an illegal alien because there's no documentation in any kind of police database 
uh, ascertaining who he may actually be. Uh, so that's a story that I dug into for Town Hall um, because the mother of the child even went on camera in an interview with Telemundo defending her child's alleged rapist. And that started a lot of questions because in a lot of these cases, it's not a stranger. It's a person in a position of power, person with easy access to the child and uh, Gershon Fuentes, who is the suspect. Uh, according to police, he confessed to repeatedly raping the child on at least two different occasions. Uh, so this is a, a case that's just been thrown into the national spotlight, uh, even to the point of President Biden uh, speaking to it uh, to make a political point about uh, the pro-abortion argument uh, in the fall out of Roe being struck down. Uh, so this is something that uh, I'm still trying to track. Uh, it's moved from Franklin County Municipal Court to the Court of Common Pleas. So it's been more difficult to track. They don't do live streams. Um, so there's a lot of local outlets, at least, uh, Columbus Dispatch, others who are doing the diligent work of appearing in the courtroom, uh, live streaming it. But it's a story that seems that it's been buried ever since uh, more details have been known. This is an interesting one, right? Because, and maybe I'll, I'll get your take on, I'd love to get your take on Megan Fox because I, we had her on recently and um, she was the one who was questioning the existence of this entire um the rape victim and the rapist. She was she was questioning its existence at first because uh, none of the original sources that had this was this was a casual kind of almost offhanded comment mentioned like oh this happened and then the focus of the article was on the the Roe v Wade uh, the overturning of Roe v Wade and the consequences of that and she was the only one that was really pointing out there's no evidence here and no one was really revealing evidence and conservative media ran with this for a little while saying maybe this is a fake thing. And then suddenly it wasn't suddenly there was this guy that was arrested. What's your, uh, maybe it's just to start. What's the, what's everyone's thoughts on Megan's behavior and was she right to question this at the beginning? And how has, how has the mainstream media changed their uh, presentation of this? A lot of the mainstream media reporters uh, just, liberals in general who have been using this story uh, to make the case for abortion, uh, for abortion access and abortion rights across all states, um, have used it as a gotcha moment, especially with Megan Fox, who's been leading the charge, to ask important questions because this was a single source story. Uh, the Indy Star first reported it and based it on the tale of Caitlin Bernard, who was the abortionist in Indiana. and. It, as you were saying, it just seemed like such a casual mention uh, and it was not well sourced. And so Megan had the right, a lot of uh, alternative news sources had the right to question the legitimacy of the story because it kind of sounded like the game of telephone that happened with the Rolling Stone, with uh, uh, the ivermectin cases, uh, mm -hmm. that it's one local outlet reports this sensational story. And then all of these establishment uh, outfits 
follow suit and it just becomes this game of telephone that less and less information gets passed down uh, instead of going straight to the source and verifying the information. So uh, while those on the left are hailing this as a, wow, it's true, a, a 10-year-old was raped, like they're, they're applauding that that actually happened. When right. uh, Megan and others who were questioning it, they're of course appalled that it actually did happen. But it was very important that these questions perhaps even led to authorities finding the suspect, that we needed this pressure um, because this suspect was on the loose, was uh, still out there. Uh, and we have not seen any charges brought forth. We had not seen any kind of identification since then. So it's still very important work uh, to question the legitimacy of reports by your peers. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that if Megan and others hadn't questioned it, we would even have anything. I mean, it, the, the DA, could, the DA couldn't find this story um, at first, right? So it wasn't just, um, it, it wasn't just that it was being irrationally questioned. It was being rationally questioned and it should have been rationally questioned. And now we know more information, but you're saying it's buried now. I actually haven't seen a lot in mainstream media about it. So as soon as they found out it was a, an illegal immigrant, that was it. It went away. Right. There's a, a lot of the outlets that did cover it. If they acknowledged uh, Fuentes' immigration status, they'd say he's believed to be undocumented. They still use the liberal language to pad it instead of saying that he's uh, been an illegal alien residing in the U.S. for at least seven years in the Columbus area, which I believe Columbus is also a sanctuary city. Uh, I was surprised to hear that Ohio has such a large illegal immigrant population since it's just so far removed from the border. But I was told that there's just so much work in the city that it's easy to fly under the radar. Um, and then this case in general seems like something that th the nation would not pay attention to. This is something that happens often in the US, sadly, that there's child sexual abuse within a household. And it's only garnering attention because of the political aspect to it. And it's both the left and the right um, who are using this case, which is just heartbreaking that this 10-year-old child who's already going through the trauma of the crime, but now her case has been placed on the national pedestal. She really should just be left uh, in peace to heal this point. But I, I, you know, my heart hurts for her right now. Yeah. And as you said, I think most, uh, I don't know if it's most, but a large, large percentage of, of child sexual assault happens um, not only for someone you know, but often it's uh, the boyfriend of a single mom, right? Um, that's that's very, very common. Um, and this woman has other children as well, right? Right. Um, when I was digging through the social media history, because this mother has commented on several posts by Gershon Fuentes. Um, and so it was a digital trail that led back to her. And she's believed to have six children in the household, including uh, the 10-year-old child in question. Um, and so it's led a lot of others to believe, uh, was this child the only victim here? Um, and then also uh, the indictment had showed that the child was actually nine years old at the time that the sexual abuse began. And it showed that... Um, so the indictment said that the one charge happened anywhere between January 1st and May 11th. The second happened around on or about May 12th. 
um, and trying to line the biological timeline as well. Uh, the, the incident was reported to Children's Services on June 22nd and a referral was automatically made through mandated reporting to Columbus Police. It took more than a month before police even apprehended the suspect, which was on uh, July 12th. So it looks like a lot of inaction on the part of authorities. Perhaps all of the media attention thrusted upon this case uh, led authorities to actually dig around. Um, but I mean, it's indicative of just a broken system in general uh, with these types of cases. Yeah. I mean, something that strikes me is that the, I don't want to, well, I guess I will. I'll make the comparison to, to the vaccine, to the COVID vaccine. Right. Um, or no, I'll make it, I'll make, instead I'll make a comparison to the 2020 election in the U S right. Um, I'm not someone who, is, who thinks, for example, that it was stolen and, but like, I don't, I know I'm not, I'm not in that camp. Um, however, yeah, me that, Carter. <laughs> however, uh, I will say this and something that I, that I think is kind of inevitable that, that, um, makes people question is when you when you get shut down for asking questions which a lot of people were it naturally makes people i think rightly so it makes it raises people's level of suspicion it's like well mm -hmm. if i can't ask the question if we can't have the conversation what are you hiding and maybe there's nothing being hidden but maybe there suddenly it makes you wonder like well maybe there's something going on and i think um you know with the 2020 election a lot's been kind of uncovered and there's been a lot of investigative work at this point but i but i think it's natural for people to kind of question when when the conversation's not not being allowed to happen and what what strikes me about this case is the same thing is happening with illegal immigration there are claims i mean if you listen to ann coulter right all the illegal immigrant not all of them but like there's a lot of there's a big problem with illegal immigrants and crime now that might be true i'm not totally sure but what i am sure about is when we try and have a conversation we get shut down. We're not allowed to have a conversation. We're xenophobes, racists, and bigots for for asking the question. Hey, what's going on with the the crime rates of illegal immigrants, and is this causing a problem? Um, and so, this is another kind of example where it seems like they don't want to. If maybe I'm wrong, but I think if he were a uh, conservative white male who had been born in Ohio and his family was born from Ohio and just regular old American guy ha who had done this, uh, I think maybe the left would be still talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, but because, because he's not, it just needs to disappear and we can't have the conversation. I certainly agree. It's all about identity politics here as well. And it's a shame because this child's abusers, if, if the mother is complicit, should be unmasked here um, and see how this exploitative environment was even crafted because then this would become a case study because then that's happening elsewhere, not just Ohio and in a lot of households um, where uh, the abuser could be the primary source of income and then the mother, a single mother who fears deportation as well, that uh, she is codependent and then it's just the children who are caught in the crossfire here. And the authorities would typically just like to ignore this thing that from happening because there's just so much uh, overloading of similar cases happening. Yeah.
Yeah. It unfortunately it is it happens a lot more as you said it happens a lot more frequently than is reported and then that would like to admit um, is a real problem. All right, uh, Tavistock. <laughs> yeah, Barbara, um, I, w- I was unaware that Tavistock shut down. Did, did anyone else on the panel? Did you get to Juliet or Mia? Did you know that it was shut down? I saw a headline that I didn't have time to read yet, but that's about all I knew about it. Okay, I'm, so I'm shocked that I, it shut down. <laughs> I should say I should say it's not Tavistock itself that was shut down. It was their oh, okay. gender identity um, division, uh, which right. had become famous in recent years because it, the Tavistock Clinic is itself has a long and I think uh, altogether good history. But they made a decision that all the gender identity problems were going to be treated centrally, like from all of England. Uh, all at Tavistock? Like at everyone Tavistock. from England at goes their, to Tavistock? Their, it's called the GIDS clinic um, okay. for children. And the numbers went like in a number of years it, from like 150 to like thousands, you know, and, and everybody was like, what's going on? What's going on? No, no, no. It's this is uh, what's happening is that because people are now tuned into and more accepting, this is totally normal that all these children are questioning there are you know so what was happening was that the the unit had become completely captured by ideologues um and this was supposed to be a place where uh, children could come and be kind of holistically explored for mental health it's supposed to be a mental health so instead what was happening was that children were coming presenting as questioning their gender identity and nobody was asking them any other questions and so in fact uh a lot of these children were on the spectrum a lot of them had anxiety depression all kinds of other things but uh the model was just as soon as they mentioned gender affirm affirm they were being put on puberty blockers almost immediately uh without doing Really, the puberty blockers have not been well-researched at all. They didn't even pretend that that it had been. So there was this big review, this big investigation, and they just slammed. Um, Whistleblowers had been shut down. People had tried to. They had about something like 30 resignations over the last couple of years. I mean, it's all the warning signs. It was like, blah, 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 you know. And finally, the government uh, had... uh, a, a well-known pediatrician, Dr. Hillary Cass, investigated, and she submitted her report, and it was just a scathing indictment um, of uh, of how how it was not a safe environment for children uh, because they had been used as as guinea pigs, and they're getting a lot of lawsuits now. Of course, uh, Jordan Peterson once said, when somebody says, "When is this?" Uh, gender mania, you know, going to subside. He says when the lawsuits start, and and he right. was right because some of them have been quite successful. And when clinics have to start paying out millions of pounds or dollars, um, you know, it's 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 interesting how the cold light of clarity suddenly, you know, <laughs> is upon. <laughs> but but why it's a big issue for everybody is because all the clinics here, we're behind. We're behind England only in the sense that we. Uh, they started earlier and, and we started a little after now they're coming to their senses and we're still on that 
you know, drinking that Kool-Aid. And every gender clinic in Canada, probably in the United States too, um, is still taking vulnerable children and teenagers who go on Reddit or Tumblr or whatever, and, and they fall into the, These are all children who have other susceptibilities, you know, not all, but a lot of them are gay, a lot of them are lesbian, a lot of them are um, socially awkward and anxious, they have eating disorders, they have a, a multiplicity of vulnerabilities and mental health problems. But the only thing that anybody wants to address is the gender issue and, and to fast track them. Uh, now we're finding out that these puberty blockers, uh, amongst their other, you know, downsides, we've got uh, potential infertility, um, uh, inability ever to have an orgasm, um, mental uh, defects, not defects, but mental constraints, because your mind, your body doesn't develop through puberty, but it also halts processes in your maturation processes in oh. your ability, your judgmental ability, your ability to assess, you know, for yourself. You stay young in every respect. Your um, prefrontal cortex is still very much in development yes, all the exactly. way to like 25. Uh, I saw one yeah. documentary on a child who had been through uh, these puberty blockers. And at the age of 10, he was suffering from osteopenia, which is a forerunner for osteoporosis, which you see in 70-year-olds, not in 9-year-olds. And he was in constant pain. Um, it brings on early bone loss. It's, it's, I, I've seen the list of potential, you know, this is, this, this is, this Lupron, which is what's used. This is, um, a drug that's used for prostate cancer, uh, you know, or, or it used to be used to castrate criminals. I don't know. Maybe it still is if they opt for it. Anyways, uh, this is one of the biggest scandals of our era, I would say. And, uh, this pernicious ideology uh, has cowed so many politicians have been so afraid to speak out about it because they just get viciously smeared as transphobic and and you know it's my beat my as a columnist is I've covered the issue of uh, biological men in women's prison anybody any male in a prison can just say I identify as a woman doesn't even have to shave I mean you know or uh, and they are, there are rapists, child rapists in women's prisons in Canada, and I, I believe in the United States as well. Um, in sport is my big, uh, that's my big uh, topic. Um, they're coming to their senses now. Uh, the World Rugby Association has now banned trans, uh, natal biological men in women's rugby. Um, uh the swimming, uh, FINA, the Swimming International Federation for Swimming, has banned biological men from women's. So, I, I think we, we're we're really in at that pivotal moment when this whole house of cards is going to fall. But President Biden is is very much on that. You know, his Title Nine. He's insisting on putting that through to to incorporate uh, gender as a protected under. Title IX, which was supposed to be protection for women, that right. is sex protected, not gender protected. So he'd very much like to see um, more and more uh, erasure of women as a sex. Uh, so to me, this Tavistock thing, it just it 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 just blew up in everybody's 
they can't say now um, that that they're uh, practicing uh, safe measures uh, because this is a case study and and it is the model on which all the gender clinics here in North America are modeled. Sweden, Finland, all Scandinavia, they're reassessing. They're not giving, they stopped giving any chemicals to children um, until, so so really we're, we're sitting on right now, um, this ship is turning around and you are going to see, I think a lot of lawsuits and I think you're also going to see uh, quite an upheaval. This is, this could work. I'm surprised that more uh, American conservative politicians do not see this as an amazing plus for them to stand by women in this struggle. Um, you know, Donald Trump, not my favorite guy, but he, he gave a speech the other day and he does have a knack, whatever else you say about him, he does have a knack for putting his finger on what is gnawing at ordinary Americans. And the best and his biggest applause line was when he I forget what he said, but he said, uh, you know, you got to keep men out of women's spaces like this is he made fun of it or whatever, whatever he said. But as soon as he said it, uh, there was huge applause. People, they they don't they they're not buying it, but they're also afraid to say anything, just like with the illegal aliens. There's certain topics that ordinary people have learned to shut up about because they they feel that they are labeled as racists or bigots or misogynist, whatever, you know, transphobes. Um, so for me, this is, 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 is a very big issue because I think we're seeing a cultural tipping point uh, on what has been one of the wildest contagions, you know, just like the satanic phase in the 1990s and multiple personality disorders. But this has had more wide sweeping because of in, the Internet has had the the ramifications of it have been horrific for so many children whose lives have been ruined. They've had the surgery they, and now they're they're You know, they're speaking out and they're saying biggest mistake of my life. And uh, I don't know, I, I, I think as a children's issue and a parent's issue, the right uh, to inform consent, all of that. Um, a huge cultural issue. So I'm happy to see it happen. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, it's been a culturally sanctioned abuse is what it is. Oh, yes. It's, it's culturally sanctioned child abuse. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's abuse at the very highest levels of power. What, what, what was the first thing that Joe Biden did when he got into office? He couldn't wait. He signed that transgender thing. First day in office, I think, second day in office. Couldn't wait. So thrilled to have. What did Kamala Harris say the other day, sitting at a table? Oh, my pronouns that are. She had a blue shirt or something. <laughs> what? what? I mean, this is this is what's considered something to be proud of. Yeah. At the highest yeah. levels of government, they don't get it. They're they're oblivious to what ordinary people, um, or the abuses they they don't. Doesn't anybody inform? Don't they have? aids that bring these things to their attention that abuses like this or what's happening in the prison. Well, I, don't I know it. you claimed the cynicism uh, trophy, but I'm going to steal it from you because <laughs> I think they know and don't care. Uh, I don't think they care. I don't, I don't, I don't think they care at all. Uh, it's about political points they can score. And if pushing child abuse 
on mass is something that gets them points, which it does, then then that's what they'll do. It's uh, it's a tough one for me because uh, children, it's just so easy. They're like it's such low hanging fruit, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Teachers, they're yeah. all in on it. Teachers, therapists, like it's like an oil slick. There's nowhere a parent can take their ch- child. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, without without running into this. <clears throat> um, oh, you have. Oh, you you feel you feel like you might be a boy. Well, uh, let's see um, how fast we can get you to the pharmacy. Like, I mean, it's, yeah. it's so bad. well, and it's and it and it's even and they even help with the earlier step, right? Where it's like, oh, you feel uncomfortable. Oh, you. Oh, perhaps you're in the wrong. Did you know that there's multiple genders? And one of the ways, you, one of the reasons you might feel uncomfortable is you're not actually a girl. That could be. And then, like, they they don't even. It's not like kids come up with this. I feel like I'm the wrong gender on their own. No, of course not. Of course not. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean there are there are rare cases like real gender dysphoria. A child. Sure. Some. Say, I am. I'm. I'm supposed to be a boy or something like that. But no child in the history of the universe ever said at the age of four, I think I'm non-binary. No, no child ever said that. <laughs> so if a little kid says, I think maybe I'm non-binary, they're getting it from, you know, uh-huh. uh, as you say, it's proactive, it's at school, uh, it's everywhere they go. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I think it's a, an incredible abuse uh, and it's, it's, it's systemic, it's, it's bottom to top, top to bottom, um, and uh, yeah, that's my rant. Well, I mean, this is the 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 thing that's just I find uh, almost mind boggling is it's the same people who tell us to trust the science, trust the science, trust the yeah. science, and then uh, on this issue, uh, you couldn't be more. You like there are 180 degrees out of phase with science. There's they absolutely it's it's an absolute inversion of science to claim any of this i mean i do agree there's probably a very very small percentage there you know there is a small percentage of intersex kids there can be a very small percentage of like developmentally like brain configurations and things that don't match like that i'm sure that does happen and it always has and we've always had a small percentage of of people who turn out to be trans um later and you know they they realize it later but not like this no right like not not like this um, and you know, someone was celebrating Amelia Earhart's birthday or something recently. And I, I saw a meme about this and, and the, the commenter, I think correctly said, who are you guys kidding? Like today you would have her on puberty blockers and like <laughs> throw her into surgery, <laughs> like totally. stop celebrating yeah. her as a woman. <laughs> you wouldn't call her a woman today. You know, the only time I ever got kicked off Twitter, um, was a couple of years ago when I was, uh, Sort of in a in a back and forth with a, 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 a somebody who's on uh, in the media a lot. He's a lawyer and he's uh, he's gay and and very proud of it. And um, you know, starts every sentence when he's on our national broadcaster CBC saying, "Well, as as a gay lawyer, uh, you know." <laughs> Anyways, I, I said, you know, as a gay lawyer, as a gay man, uh, you should be concerned about. Uh, you know, all these gay children that are being told they're trans. I said, I said, you know, the, they're body snatching, uh, homosexuals. You yes. Know, they're, 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 yeah, I use the word body snatching. I said, these, these, <laughs> these ideologues are body snatching gay kids. And he was furious and 
and a bunch of people, you know, wrote to Twitter, I guess, whatever. So I was I was on the nanny stool for like 24 hours because of that. But honestly, I, I think I, I think I pretty well described it because uh, I think that's what they are doing. All these all these kids that were, would grow up to be gay and they're a little bit effeminate or they're a little bit butch, whatever. They just have different personalities. They're non-conforming. They are literally being snatched from their true identities mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of squished into this mold of uh, it's considered very uncool now to be, uh, I'm told by my 14-year-old uh, granddaughter, very mm-hmm. uncool to be a lesbian. It's very cool to be non-binary or trans or, you know, that's very cool. But to be a lesbian, what? That's so old-fashioned. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. That's 290s? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. I did know that. So my friend has, uh, well, his kids are a little bit older. This is a couple years ago. They were in high school still. And they had, I was shocked by this. They have a, and this is a, I won't say exactly where, but it's a relatively, if you can imagine a relatively conservative suburb of the Bay Area, they do exist. Oh, it's okay. a relatively cool conservative. Insights, but they don't want anyone to know about them because you know, yes, things are going right. well for them. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but even there, even there in the public school, they had something called a magic closet, and this was to allow kids to um, leave their house and they're, you know, on the, you know, looking like the person that their parents think they are, go to the magic closet at school and change, change into their other clothes and switch identities and then spend all day at school in their other identity, which they would then go back in the closet and change, you know, it, like Superman and Clark Kent, right, except for... Transmanning Clark Kent, I guess, or whatever. And so it's to keep it from the parents. Isn't it creepy? I'm so glad I don't have kids. If I had a child right now and I found out that was going on, I would end up in prison. I'm just going to throw that out there. Your your kid might be taken away from you. One one of the other problems is that that children who, parents that put up, you know, a bit of a fuss Mm -hmm. at the school, the school like is, well, either they fire them. If it's a private school, like they, you know, they fire them like they did in New York uh, on critical race theory, or they actually uh, warn them that, you know, they could get child protection services involved. Well, certainly in Canada, there have been Uh a few cases where, you know, the parents were very strict about, no, I don't, my, I'd like my child not to change their name. And I'd like them, you know, where he's going through a phase and we're perfectly okay with that. Anyways, uh, the next thing they know that the, the, the child protection services is at their door and threatening like because no. yeah because this has all been uh it's in law in canada conversion therapy you're not allowed which which means that if you don't affirm you're not allowed to explore any other avenues of, of mental you, ha- you must affirm basically that's the law you right? must affirm. yeah yeah that that is pretty scary i don't think it's like i don't think it's that bad even in california where i live but, it's actually um, uh, Canada is one of the worst in the world uh, for that, and um, our sports associations are all totally married to the inclusion, which means whatever you ideas, uh, you 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 can be in any sport that you ID, you can join the women's team, and not only that, but if if one season you ID as female and you want to be in a woman's on a woman's team great and 
if magically the next year or the next semester you ID back in your biological sex because you want to be in another sport that you think you could do well in, you're allowed to do that too. It's all about, you know, it's not for us to say you could change every day. You could change your ID and it would be perfectly, it's crazy. Right. Well, uh, can you, can you change your, uh, age? Can you identify as a junior high schooler when you're a high schooler? So you can really kick ass in sports. You could try, but I don't, you know, they'll let you get away. Yeah, I don't, I know. I, I, I actually was kind of hoping that after Rachel Dolezal with her, you know, I was, I was truly hoping that that would become a thing and then that would be a real conundrum, wouldn't it? It really would, you know, uh, because it would be so easy to do. Um, yeah, quite, I, I, I don't think it I don't think it will, because the the academics, if you read even the original like uh, intersectional papers like uh, Kimberly Crenshaw's and like original papers in 89 and, and 90 or whatever it was, um, she she pretty explicitly is like this postmodern and stuff is great for other things, but not when it comes to race. <laughs> That's pretty okay. bad. Can't have postmodernism applied to race. That's just horrible. Um <laughs> So in other words, all truths are equal, like your truth, but but that truth is is the real truth. Some truths are more equal than others, Some Barbara. Some truths are more equal than others. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> so I um I just wanna I wanna say one thing to Juliet. Yes. Having kids is great. I like I <laughs> even though look, I look, I've got a thirteen year old. Um I actually don't think it's um I don't think it's that bad if you're if you're the kind of parent who raises them. Well, I mean, some things are out of your control. So, you know, you can't claim credit or blame for for how they turn out eventually always. But if you're if you kind of raise them well, like they don't they see this stuff as ridiculous. Like my daughter sees it where, you know, she's in the Bay Area. She goes to a private school. They're not as bad as some of the others, but they're they're there. And she just sees it as the silliness that it is. And she mocks mocks it with us and she knows like all right you know in certain situations she has to keep her mouth shut so she doesn't get in trouble but um it's uh it's easy to see through um i think i think the problem is if you don't uh if you don't know what to say about any of it and you don't prepare kids for anything Mm -hmm. and you don't you're not kind of transparent with them about what's going on in the world they can get sucked away into this kind of Stuff. Yeah, I think Carter, you're right that. But you see, what you've done with your kids is you, you prepared them. Like you did uh-huh. nothing. Nothing could happen to them out of the blue. And I think with with most parents, they're behind the eight ball because uh-huh. it's almost like a fait accompli. By the time they get to know about it, or else they're they're not they're. Inc- I've spoken oh. to many parents. They're so naive. Uh-huh. Their child comes and says, you know, they like boy things, and they. Yeah, sure, honey, whatever. But they don't they don't understand what's going on at school. Mm-hmm. So by the time that it becomes an issue and the therapist has already, you know, and they've had to take the kid to a therapist who then says, yes, your 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 child is trans. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. So but I think for parents like my kids are preparing their kids, they mm-hmm. talk about it all the time. Listen, I know what you're hearing at school. Let's get something straight, you know. <laughs> Here's what's real and here's what's not real. And so you'll be able to assess, but don't, don't assume that just because your teacher tells you something or, you know, we'll discuss it at home. Like, I think that's why they can, 
accept it lightly because they're fortified. They're already fortified against being uh, bamboozled, you know, mm-hmm. so very important. Yeah. Though. And, and so few parents are aware of what's going on in spite of, I, you know, you tend to, when you're down the rabbit hole yourself, you tend to think, oh, this is common knowledge. It's not mm-hmm. quite as common knowledge as you think it is, you know, or, yeah, or maybe, you, maybe you're right. Yeah. <laughs> if she suddenly came home and said, oh, uh, I want to visit the alien planet because they've been, you know, you know, they've been recruiting people. And I'm, I'd be like, what are you talking about? I, I, I didn't prepare her for that. I, I have no idea that that's happening. Uh, you also have to know what websites are like. You, you really hmm. have to patrol. That's mm-hmm. thank God I, when my kids are growing up, we didn't have any of that because yep. I think I would have gone out of my mind trying to make sure TikTok apparently now is the big I thought yes, it, was it is. Tumblr, Reddit. Now it's t- who can keep track, but yeah. that's what you have to do as a parent. My my solution as a parent, which is not my daughter's favorite solution, but she's I'm just a luddite. She doesn't have a phone. She doesn't like. <gasps> wow, how does she survive? <laughs> yeah, I know, really, right? <laughs> yeah, I she's she spends time at the at this barn that's like a couple miles away because she's into horseback riding a lot, and she's oh. she's tried to use the argument like, oh well, I really need a phone so I can contact you if there's you know you gotta come pick me up or something going to the barn, and I I said you can get a ham radio license. I'm, I'll be happy to buy you. Oh, you're tough. You're tough. <laughs> I'm happy to buy you. You can just radio me. I'll come, I'll come get you. So. I have to say that the phone argument of of but what if I need to be in touch? You know, I thought that was that that was a killer for me. I I was actually happy that my grandchildren have phones simply because, you know, I always uh, always worry that they won't be able to to reach you. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, she's getting old enough that it's going to happen soon. But, uh, but, you know, I've I've, I've, uh, avoided it thus far. But that's the easiest way to avoid where they're going on the Internet. I think a lot of parents, if you're going to have a device, you really need to. Police. First of all, I think we forget kids don't we and we talked about this earlier with their um, brain development, their executive functioning capability is not that of an adult. So even if they have a vocabulary, that's my, my daughter has a vocabulary better than most adults. So it's easy to treat her mistakenly as an adult and think, oh, she's just like a short adult which is not true at all. Her executive mm-hmm. functioning is still developing. Her the, the ability to not be addicted to the screen or to use it strategically is is not something that she's she has, right? She can't she she can't do that. And so I think a lot of parents they end up giving kids I think unsupervised screen time is probably the worst parenting decision you can possibly make. Probably, but they do need their screens because I don't know. I don't think you can go to school nowadays without a screen. No, you have to. She's got a laptop for school and whatever, but you know, yeah, you have to, everyone at school uses screens. You basically have to. So, um, but yeah, but Juliet, don't don't throw the idea of kids out. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm just, oh gosh, it's it's very stressful now. But I don't know. I'm you'll, man, you'll manage fine. No, really, there's more. It's more fun than we're making it sound like. <laughs> I'm, uh, well, I was I'm the a opposite. nanny. I was a nanny You're for ten opposite. years, and we 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 were the first. Like, well, those kids, they were like the first fifth graders getting iPhones. You know, it was like that. I was like you okay. know, 15 years ago. So I've been through that water and oh. man, that is rough. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a lot of upset 11 year old girls because all their friends have phones, but you know, parenting is fun. <laughs> Take it over <laughs> it. 
girls preteens man that's you know it's rough yeah. and that's why they're so susceptible they're vulnerable yes. to this ideology because i mean three out of four of us have been there and it is a hard time of life it is. you're looking for the answer and if a bunch of people that act like they're in a cult come and like give you the answer it's no wonder they fall for it yeah I, I you, would you were saying want, something yeah. i would want to have uh the opposite like a million children that's probably because <laughs> i have the one child uh only child syndrome because mm -hmm. my mom adopted me from china so i never uh was graced with other siblings so I would uh, want my kids to at least have one friend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, that. Snow White. Yes. Have several. Well, the spray and pray <laughs> strategy is great. We need more. We need more Americans. You know, like Canadians uh -huh. and you know, and yeah. uh, here we don't have to. Just, there's this uh, trend of just families having less kids. You know, know. like my grandparents' generation. My mom uh, had six kids. Uh, you know, and so forth. And now we're wow. just having at most like a three child household. And uh, it's just a decline because like uh, the mainstream narrative is having children in this economy or having children with all these issues out there is just a reason to not have children. Mm -hmm. And I think the best way to combat that narrative is to just see how giving it is parenthood. Um, and I, I think there is a balance between uh, vilifying a woman who chooses her career in the long run, because I do think that's also fulfilling. I believe that's also a vocation that uh, God calls you to as well. Not everybody is fit for parenthood either, but I think there's a balance that a woman can have her career, but also have her family in the end. Um, and on, on the flip side, there is that vilification of motherhood as well. And that's one of the most giving acts uh, and it's not as uh, thanked by society these days yeah. or just by members of the own household to know how much a mother has sacrificed in her life for her children. No, I, I, I wish I, you're so, you're so level headed. You're, you, how did you get so smart so young? <laughs> but, but, but on the issue of having kids, look, look, every generation, there's all if you if you look for a good reason not to have children, you don't have to look very far. In my generation, I knew people that said, how can I bring this was like when I grew up, we were like worried that uh, there was going to be a nuclear war. This was the Cold War, the height of the Cold War. And and we lived, people talked about building um, bomb shelters in their backyards. And some people did actually build. And uh, we had constant talk at the dinner table about the Russians and were they going to, you know, and mad, you know, mutually assured. This. So I did have friends who said, how can I bring a child into this world? There's going to be a nuclear war. They're going to be wiped out. And then it was the ecologist. How can I bring a child into this? There's no good being overpopulation and no water and no this and no that. There's no shortage of reasons why you shouldn't have children. Mm -hmm. um, and not enough people like Mia understand <laughs> great reasons why uh, you should. So yeah, have faith I and despair. Uh I'm I'm down with that. I I agree. I wish I had started earlier. I would have more kids because, uh, yeah. I I think I don't know when this happened culturally. I have certainly have groups that I think I could blame for pushing this narrative, but um, I I think humans are an asset, 
And culturally, we tend to view, often we view humans as a liability. Mm-hmm. There's too many, or you don't want more kids, or like, they, like this, they're, they're viewed as these liabilities. There's, there's too many humans, they're going to mess up the earth. There's too many kids are going to mess up your life, right? And uh, I view humans as an asset. If we have some amazing, well, we have some huge problems as humanity, but they're going to get solved by people. Like really smart, awesome people are going to solve the problems. And having fewer people, I don't, I, I just view that as having a fewer assets on the balance sheet. We will figure out a way um, to survive as humans, but the best to do that, we need the best minds and we need more people. So I don't, I, I don't buy into this idea that there's a limit to the population that the planet can sustain. I mean, eventually I'm sure there is, but like, I don't, I don't think we're near it. I don't think we're even limited to the planet. Like, I don't like, there's lots of, I don't, you know, there's always these doomsday people who say, well, well, we're going to run out of this. We're going to run. We're not going to have enough of this, or this is going to you know, be a problem. But then someone comes along and invents a work yeah, around I mean, or invents something else yeah. or invents a way to reprocess something. And, and we, and we keep moving on. And so I, I don't, I, I think it's anti-human to view people as a liability. And that's one of the biggest problems I have with culture generally, not only kids as a liability, but well, just it's humans. Our culture. It's only our culture. That's so anti-human. It's Western culture. Mm-hmm. We hate mm-hmm. ourselves. And we're, you know, there's a good reason why if you Google suicide of the West, you'll get about like, you know, 50,000 hits. Like it's title of essays and articles and books. And uh, Mm -hmm. this has been a long time coming, predicting uh, Mm -hmm. that we are suicide bent and we are, uh, we consider ourselves a failed culture, a failed civilization. Uh, But other people don't. There, you know, you don't see... Chinese apologizing for themselves. You don't see like uh, almost anybody. Africans don't apologize for being, you know, they're they're having children. So no, no one, no one does. No one, no one no apologizes. One except, no one except except uh, you know people from Europe, like originally. Yep. yep. That's my wife is uh, native Chinese, and that's one of the things she always notices is just so strange about <laughs> the U.S. Well, she was like, well. No one in China, like we don't, we don't care if people call us racist because we like to have a Chinese national identity. Like no one, we don't, we don't care if people call us. You know, like who cares? Like what do you, what's wrong with you? But I mean, also, I don't, I don't suppose, I don't suppose in China people walk around with bowed shoulders, thinking of their five thousand year history and say, oh, we weren't so nice in this period. We were, right, exactly. We were terrific. This wasn't our best year, you know. It's like, right. Yeah. <laughs> We exactly, should, and we still feel guilty about that. Like, we, I mean, right. you know, history has it is what it is. But, but you gotta you gotta feel that what you're doing is purposeful. Like, or if you don't feel, if you don't feel that you have a right to occupy the planet, and that it would be best if you, if you're, you know, if you disappeared forever and and you didn't leave anything behind, which is sometimes the way. It strikes me that most people talk about our uh, our culture. Um, this is very unhealthy, I would say, yeah. to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, I heard a really good point uh, earlier this week, and I think it was Matt Walsh. I'm not positive on that, but he pointed out that most of the people that are most obsessed with climate change and that, you know, humans are a virus on the earth and stuff, these people live in cities. 
they de- they mm-hmm. they're never out in nature. I mean, I thought about that just this week when I was taking a walk. I was like, you know, when you're in the woods, all the doom and gloom predictions don't make a lot of sense because the woods are still fine. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're seeing the decline happening right here and now. But a lot of people, I think when you live in a big city and you, the only green you see is an occasional tree, it can seem a lot more real and urgent because you're just so disconnected from what the world is really like. Well, they're probably just not only urban, but they're probably not um, uh, c- very connected to community in some way or another right. and they're they're not plugged into a network of people that lift them up by mm-hmm. you know they feel one of uh, a group a circle they're embraced by p- other people and i think uh you know this whole bowling alone syndrome that was identified years ago of of all the com- like we, we're all you know the internet has made us so socially isolated and and it, People don't bowl together and they don't have, uh, I don't know, remember the Rotary Club and the all these clubs that people used to be part of when I grew up. Um, yep. So when you they feel very it. isolated, I think it's very easy to have gloomy thoughts and to mm-hmm. uh, consider the world a hostile place and, and not one that you, you know, you feel particularly happy about. Well, I mean, I, we could go on in this vein, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I think something related is uh, I've well, two things. One, I've seen most of the people that are uh, that would categorize, I'll say, Western culture as the as as evil and, uh, you know, the, the evil colonizers. They've they've never traveled. So they've they've spent no time in other cultures. They have no clue what it's like anywhere else in the world, um, which I find <laughs> odd. But also, I, I wonder if living in large, especially really large cities, uh, has a tendency to make one misanthropic a little bit because mm-hmm. it's difficult. You know, a small town. I mean, there's disadvantages to small towns, but there is something nice about knowing a large percentage of people that you see and having this easier to build a community. Um, you know, I grew up in a town. It wasn't small. It was like thirty six thousand people or something at the time. It was you know, it was a suburb, mm-hmm. but still. You would go to the mall and you'd probably see a couple people, you know, at the mall, Maybe a lot of strangers, but probably a couple people you knew at the mall at any you know random time. And in a big city, you have rampant crime. Um, you have a lot of uh, anonymity, which is very isolating. And I wonder if it just it adds to this misanthropic mindset about humanity. You look around and you're like, we don't need more. I mean. I, I don't know. You, you look at an off ramp and you see the home, the homeless, the tent cities in in San Francisco. And you're like, well, we don't need more people. Mm-hmm. I, I can well, see I, why I you might think that. Something to that. I, in, in, in city like a city like Los Angeles is so unappealing because, you know, it's 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 so vast. And uh, but I, I think in a neighborhood I grew up in Toronto, actually, I live in Montreal, but I grew up in Toronto In Toronto and Montreal. There's neighborhoods. These are real neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. They have town halls and they have. You know, uh, you know, the same stores on the same few streets, and it, 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 they're virtually small towns within the larger city, and they do give you a very cozy feeling of, and they're mixed too. They're diverse. It's not like they're, uh, um, you know, uh, homogeneous the way they used to be uh, linguistically. And where I live, it's, it's, you know, bilingual and and uh, 
a lot of people actually living uh, from other countries and other places and other. So it's it's. But it's, so it's, you can do it in a city, is what you you're saying. Can, you there. can, and and neighborhoods can have very clearly defined characters, architectures, mm-hmm. uh, associations. Uh, I think this is very important to a sense of of um, optimism, social optimism. But I agree with you that if if all you see, if you're just watching television and watching the news and watching, but all the horrible stuff, that, and you're alone, you're not plugged mm-hmm. in. Um, yeah, you could you could become very misanthropic. Crazily. Yeah. I feel I had that to ask me a house DC. Oh, oh DC. Um, it's pretty much a carbon copy of Boston, of New York, but it's <laughs> yeah. more, you know, it's the swamp. There's mm-hmm. uh, the same type of elitists. Um, if you consider this part of the East Coast, although it's just kind of its own bubble. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it seems very similar to Boston. Different kind of history, of course. Uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, the the founding history, the revolutionary history in Boston. Uh, in D.C., I'm actually living on the Virginia side. So it's, it's a much better culture over here. When my mom came to visit for the 4th of July weekend, uh, we just went to some kind of county fair. We saw some kind of like the Falls Church community band play. This is something you would not see in the heart of a city. These are just normal folks who have their mm-hmm. uh, soccer game watching chairs unfolded, um, their kids, their ice cream. Uh, and That's this nice. is just the kind of the living that, that uh, majority of Americans live as. Uh, not I've, actually been to Falls, I've actually been to Falls Church because my, my daughter-in-law's parents lived there for a while and we visited. It's very nice, uh, very uh-huh. nice yeah. By the way, Mia, you have a most beautiful speaking voice. You have, oh, thank you. you know, it's, <laughs> lovely quality in your voice. It's. Um, I was going to say, what's what's the word for it's audiogenic? You're photogenic if you take good pictures. You're oh, audiogenic. Thank you. <laughs> so I always thought it was, uh, I don't know. I don't know what robotic and monotone. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's very mellow. It's it's like a resonant uh, voice. You you. It's it's uh it's beautiful. It's really, um, you should do radio. I mean, you're also good looking, so, you know. That <laughs> hey, you should you should appear on Unsafe Space more is what Barbara's saying. Uh, that's, that's the summary. Uh, speaking, of, uh, speaking of Mia, uh, I don't want to leave you out if you have another story you think we should be paying attention to. Um, because yeah. uh, we we talked about one with you. Do you have another story you think we should be paying attention to that we're not? I'd say uh, the Biden administration redefining what recession is. Uh, mm. Since the latest GDP report showed uh, the textbook definition of recession that the U.S. Uh, has encountered two consecutive quarters of negative growth. And uh, not just Biden denying that the U.S. has entered a recession. Uh, Secretary Yellen, uh, the assistant press, uh, the press secretary, um, and so we also have the mainstream media jumping on board and helping this kind of Orwellian doublespeak, uh, even though we clearly know you can consult the dictionary. Although Wikipedia, the editors there uh, have moved to change the definition so many times that they had to lock the edit history. Uh, and so definitions are changing before our eyes. Um, uh, it, it started with what is a woman and the erasure mm-hmm. of women, and now it's even something, uh, an economic term that we've known for decades. 
Did you see um did you see that Wikipedia I think actually changed ah, there's a there's a definition of definition in Wikipedia and it says something <laughs> about being a fluid like temporary oh thing oh. that, yeah <laughs> yeah I sh we should look it up but uh yeah I was it was like okay they're not even yeah they're not even trying at this point no. uh, I, I want to show a, a cartoon to you guys based on this though uh, I love because I love this cartoon. <laughs> Did you see this? Uh, <laughs> just this for people who are only listening. That's very good. That's very good. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a ship that says USA on it. There's an iceberg that says recession. And there's two people in the crow's nest. One of one of whom looks like he is actually, you know, uh, one of the ship, ship's mates. And he's pointing out and he says, iceberg. He sees the iceberg coming. But Biden is in the crow's nest with him. And Biden's saying, don't worry, it might not fit my definition of an iceberg. <laughs> that's how the American people feel, though. That's how that's how people feel about this. That, uh, that reminds me of uh, an incident a few weeks ago where Biden was reading the teleprompter and he said, uh, repeat the line. And... <laughs> It's the stage direction to repeat the line, not repeat the direction out loud. And Next then page. his, his, yeah. his assist, yeah, turn the page. Uh, and then the ass assistant press secretary uh, jumped in on Twitter to say, oh, he said, let me repeat that line as emphasis. And then they uh, even went to the extreme of changing the official White House transcript. Uh, even though we heard it, we saw it. Uh, so it's really just the slogan of uh, don't believe your ears, don't believe your eyes, just believe mm -hmm. your government and what it's trying to tell you. Um, so that, that's just something that's, that's just reached a new level of insanity here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Speaking of that, Mia, I just saw a, a clip today. I, it was on Twitter, so I, I played it. Uh, and it was it was a reporter, he looks familiar, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, asking uh, the press secretary, uh, well, why uh, you're finishing this wall in Arizona? We are not finishing the wall. We are not finishing the wall. Uh, we are. And she went into this whole gobbledygook thing, and then he said again, "So, so would would finishing the wall? We're not finishing the wall." He says, "Okay, would filling in the wall would that be?" You know? <laughs> 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 so she didn't stop him. She let him finish the the, uh, but. He says, but he says, when in 2019, you said it was it was racist to build the walls. So so why are you finishing? He wouldn't let he just kept saying, why are you finishing the wall? And she kept, We're not finishing the wall. We're not finishing. <laughs> we're not finishing it. We're just it's not complete. And we're going to add materials and labor yes. to it. So that's complete. But we're not finishing the wall. We're just bricklaying. We're, we're just cleaning a fence. That's all. We're making it look a little better. We're, you know, it's, right. we're, we're enhancing its general appearance. <laughs> it's incomplete now. It will be complete later. But the yes. thing we're doing isn't finishing. But no, 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 no. I just, I mean, but it's this, this, this wordplay, this, this, uh, it's so blatant. It's, and, yeah. and ordinary people, you know, you're just sort of, a gog because what can you do with that when it's when they're so upfront about it yeah yeah and the, and the recession thing's a, a interesting one because 
Well, first of all, they they preemptively redefined. It was like, oh, so we know what the report's going to be because you're that hasn't come out. It was like a few days from maybe a week, less than a week before mm-hmm. the the report was going to come out, and they're like, hey, uh, apropos of nothing, uh, the definition of recession is different than what we <laughs> have said previously. Uh, so it's so it's so sophomoric. It's not even subtle, right? It's they're just they're so bad at it. Um, but they get away with it. They seem to they seem to get away with it. Um, but even if like this is the weird thing, I'm not. I actually don't think GDP is a good measure of the health of economy. Like I could have long arguments about how I think the metrics are bad and and all this kind of stuff. But uh, the fact is, the American people feel like the economy is bad because they're not. It is. They they don't they don't they don't feel like it's as good as it was in the past because they can't afford things and they're struggling. So it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if you have I, I, part. Part of me says, yeah, you're right. It kind of doesn't matter what the definition of recession is. We're in one. Yeah, <laughs> we're in something, because, anyways. Yeah, and, I mean, and then people, you have, and then you have our prime minister, who's we're also struggling. And he's now he's killed our oil industry in Canada, which we could have been like Saudi Arabia, but never mind. Uh, but he also now uh, you've seen what's happening in the in the uh, in the Netherlands with with yes. the fertilizer crisis. He wants to do the same thing to our farmers too. We're kind of like the bread basket, you know. There's like Canada, Ukraine, you know, bread, wheat, like prairies, mm-hmm. like. So he wants to do the same thing. I think with the yeah. uh, with the fertilizer, and that will uh, he's 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 obs- our prime minister is is an eco obsessive of uh, uh, he doesn't he doesn't care what happens to, to the country economically as long as uh, I never I've never seen a leader so obsessed with especially for a country that produces like approximately one percent of emissions for the entire world like it's yeah. inconsequential. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll, I watched a, an interview recently with one of the a representative from the, the Netherlands uh, defending them against the some representative from the, the farmers. And it was really fascinating how I mean, the farmer was saying, first of all, Netherlands already has higher standards than everyone else. So and people have and this is mostly by the way, if this is mostly in the Netherlands, it's mostly against dairy farmers. right? It's mostly a, a dairy farmers thing. And but some of the requirements, some of the farmers, it's not just like a little bit. Some of them would have to reduce emissions by 90 percent if they live in a particular area, 50 percent other areas. But it's it's a huge, impossible reduction. And the the farmers were saying, yeah, we're we're all on board with the general idea of trying to preserve the environment and help, you know, help uh, the natural regions that the government wants to help. But uh you know, nitrogen is a very small, this is one small thing. It's not, this isn't the problem. It's, it's maybe a contributing factor, but it's not the one problem. And you're going to put all of us out of business, move dairy farming to a country that probably has less strict standards, thus worsening the problem overall for what to not actually have, make a big dent in solving the problem. And what I hadn't realized is it's the EU is it e- it's the EU. It's I mean, it is the government in the Netherlands, but 
the EU, man, I'm so glad we're not a member of something like the EU, but the EU has reached into the Netherlands and said, these spots are designated areas and need to be protected. It's the EU. This is what, like they added a layer of government and that layer of government has come in and basically dictates what dictates what happens on territory that's actually owned by the Netherlands. It's crazy. Um, So it seems like Trudeau saw that and was like, I can do better. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know how you guys still have Trudeau, but okay. Well, he's actually lower in the polls than uh, Joe Biden, but we have a you know parliamentary system of government, which means he can govern with getting thirty percent of the votes. Uh, is he's hooked up now with the uh, NDP, which is the uh, Socialist Party, and they have an agreement to uh, the Socialist Party will support them for the next at least uh, three years. So he has another three years to go. No, we. Uh, finally uh took a long time but a lot of canadians now that have come to realize that he's a disaster i thought he was a disaster before he became prime minister i don't know how why it took canadians so long but um anyways we still we can't get rid of him i'm surprised that there weren't bigger consequences for him after the uh, freedom convoy and now there seems to be some rulings in canada that demonstrate that perhaps the the emergency act wasn't required it was not only not required it was it was uh a, it is scandalous that he imposed it uh i i actually know people who had their bank accounts frozen because they donated 25 dollars to the uh to the freedom Club. it was it, it's it's um he's uh, he is an author he admires authoritarian uh, leaders and he ha- is himself as authoritarian as he can get away with, um, yep. he's he's really uh, he's, he's not stupid, but he he has no gravitas. He's his vanity and his um, uh, I think he's a very unethical person, a very cynical person, um, and it's really a shame. I mean, Canada is now very divided. It was a very unified country when he came on board and it's now an extremely divided country uh in many ways uh and then the morale i would say is extremely low uh yeah. and it's it's i would hold him and his government and his cynical cabinet ministers responsible for most of that yeah, yeah. before we before we take off mia you brought up uh the recession definition um <laughs> uh, and barbara you've brought up uh the attack on canadian farmers I don't expect that, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but what do you guys both think about the short and medium term economic situation that Canada and the U.S. will find themselves in? What, what's your, are you bullish? Are you bearish? What's, what's this going to be? I'm incompetent to answer your question. <laughs> uh, I, I am. I, economics, um, even ec- economists get things wrong all the time. They're all in, inco- Paul Krugman's the most incompetent Paul one and he Krugman, writes articles all the time. Say, yeah. Yeah, so so if if economists can't even be, t- I I can't and I I, I am not. Uh, that's one area when I've never written about because I'm just uh, a total retard. Uh, sorry, I'm a total. Uh, you can use that word here. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm mentally challenged in that area. Yeah. Fair. 
Fair enough. Mia's going to do it, though. You're going to make a prediction. No. I just know uh, with what Carter was saying, how uh, the White House was preemptively uh, safeguarding itself against uh, critics with the what is a recession when we saw that appear as a press release in the White House briefing room and how Yellen went out, uh, Brian Deese went out uh, to the press and started the damage control before it was even made official. So we should all start shaking in our boots if we see press release titled, what is a depression? But I, I don't think <laughs> yes. it's going to get to that point. Um, I hope not. But uh, this, this is very unstable times. Um, we're also coming up on uh, the one year anniversary of Biden's disastrous pullout from Afghanistan uh, and the 13 US service members who were killed uh, in the fallout of that. Uh, there's just so much that has happened during Biden's tenure in the White House uh, that's been very catastrophic, both domestically and foreign policy-wise. Um, back to uh, talking about the Freedom Convoy, though, uh, the U.S. is very ignorant to anything that's happening north of us in Canada. And the Freedom Convoy was really something that uh, had ordinary Americans looking up north. And it was very interesting to see the Freedom Convoy replicated in its own sense in the U.S. when it traveled from the West Coast to D.C., uh, that it was this week-long or more trip. Um, it was not as successful as Canada's, but it was really a people's movement. And so I, I hope to see the U.S., uh, the eyes here opening up, looking more to see what's happening uh, in Canada, because we see a lot of replication, um, the gender uh, identity ideology, that's something that's become universal in the West uh, because of the prevalence of the internet, of course. But we have, the West has a lot of the same issues. And I think America and Americans have to become more uh, aware of what's happening outside of uh, the country uh, to better address uh, the issues that we have here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing I didn't, I guess I didn't mention this, but I will. I do find it. I'm optimistic. I mean, the, the fact that Tavistock's gender identity division closed is that's a, that is a reason to celebrate it. It is an optimistic mm -hmm. thing that's happening. Yeah. Um, and there's not a lot of, often we have negative stories about things going wrong and, and stuff. And that is a good sign. That is uh -huh. a good sign. Yes. So, Juliet, do you want to give any predictions about the economy? I don't know. No. <laughs> um, I'm not very optimistic about it right this second. I feel like something, ha things would have to change, and I don't predict the Biden administration changing anything in the right direction. Um, but, you know, we're resilient. We made it through 2008. It was 2008. Right, that we had the last recession. The financial, the yeah, yeah, uh -huh. the housing crisis. That was tough. That was tough. That was a hard stretch, but you know we rebounded eventually. So, I mean, I have faith in the future, but I, I think we're in for some tough stuff coming up because we were crippling a lot of our own industries. You know, the gas industry, oil industry, food producing industry. Yep. So, it's you know it's not going to make anything cheaper for anybody. Yeah. Well, I'm not an economist, but I'm just going to, this is my argument. 
That's M1. <laughs> That's the money supply. Uh, here's 2008 right here. And we've printed uh, roughly $16 trillion in the last two years. So uh, that's from 19, early 1960 or 1950s to current day. Uh, we have printed uh, roughly, where are we right here? We're at about $4 trillion in early 2020, and we're about $20 trillion now. So, you know, hey, I'm no Paul Krugman. I don't have a Nobel Prize, but seems like that ought to, something ought to happen. That's so scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow. Uh-huh. Yep. You know, hey, maybe we can print our way. But I know if we just printed another 20 trillion, I'm sure that would solve the problem. Actually, I, I do hear economists here. I mean, I know I certainly see the numbers here. It's it's the, the, the money that was given away dur during the pandemic. It was like literally like they had a printing machine was flying out, the, you know, uh -huh. uh, yeah. which is why a lot of people don't. They still don't want to go back to work because they and uh, yeah. yeah, it's just billions and billions and billions for us. I mean, we're a tenth the size of you. So a billion right. here is like a, it's 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 a lot. It used to be a lot. It used to be a lot. Uh, a billion. I, I kind of still think it's a decent amount, you know, yeah. a billion I mean, dollars. You, I, we you can't retire, but it's pretty nice, right? <laughs> used to be something that you would say with ooh they're spending a billion dollars on it now it's like a billion yeah. here a billion there i so I, I i don't even believe these numbers don't compute for me and i i remember when i first heard the word trillion i was like <gasps> like <laughs> yeah 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 well i mean look I'll, we gotta put this back for just a second this is the 2008 crisis and if you recall the the fed's response was to print money and everyone said, oh, my God, look how much we're printing. This is horrible. We'll never recover from this. Oy. There's no way we can't. There's nothing we can do. And boom. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like I, I don't. I, it, this is almost unbelievable to me. I have to look at this graph like once a day to remind myself <laughs> that this is actually true. Wow. <laughs> this is, why, this is why I don't understand economics is because I, 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 I think to myself, can you just keep printing? Isn't don't you get then to the situation like in Weimar Germany where people are walking around with wheelbarrows? Full yeah, you do because they can't keep up with you know. Isn't that yeah. scary? <laughs> yeah, no, I you do get to it. I think the U.S. I mean, we don't have to get into a deep economics discussion, but one thing that makes the U.S. different from Weimar, the Weimar Republic, and all everyone else is that we're the world's reserve currency, so we can get away with uh, we can get away with injecting heroin a lot longer than. A typical economy can before we die, before we OD, mm -hmm. right? Because the world has to kind of adjust to us because we're the reserve currency and we export a lot of our problems. But um, the question is, how long will the rest of the world put up with this? And I'm sure that China knows what this chart is <laughs> and many other nations do as well. So who knows? I don't know. Uh, maybe Paul Krugman can write an article about it and uh, and then we'll know exactly what's not true. So. <laughs> <laughs> he can rule out some things by writing some articles for us. <laughs> can know. Well, it's not that. But anyway, um, look, thank you all for joining. Um, Mia, remind everyone where they can find you and how they can follow your work. Uh, I'm primarily on Twitter at Mia Cathell, and then uh, my stories appear on Town Hall's website uh, under uh, the tip sheets. And is there anywhere else they can hear your sonorous voice? As as I, I also do uh, ASMR videos on the side. Excellent. 
Can you give us an example? And it's going to get too sexual. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Barbara, would you like to give us an ASMR example or alternatively tell people where they can follow you and find your work? They can follow me on Twitter at Barbara RK. Uh, I write uh, both for the uh, National Post and the Epoch Times on a regular basis. Um, and uh, occasionally we have a, a, I just wrote something on pit bulls for uh, True North Canada uh, Media, which is a conservative outlet here, growing, growing. Um, and I used to write for the post-millennial. I actually don't write for the post-millennial anymore. Oh. And I, I hope that's not still in my, I've edited my profile. Um, you know what? I probably, uh, failed and didn't update it, but sorry about that. And oh, no, I did. It says previously weekly columnist. Oh, okay. okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, yeah. so that's where people can find me and, and, um, uh, and I'm certainly going to follow Mia. Uh, I like the cut of your jib. um so well thank you uh thank you both if you want to follow unsafe space on twitter you can go to underscore unsafe space juliet how do people follow you because it's not twitter no i got kicked (laughs) off twitter um (laughs) so yeah and it's uh you know what i'm just gonna tell the story again because it's the most ridiculous thing you'll ever hear I commented on a story about George Takai being jealous of William Shatner getting to go on the spaceship, right? And I just said, bitter old hags, with an H, are going to bitter old hag. And I got banned from Twitter for abuse. And, <laughs> and Right? Because <laughs> George, George Takai, though, is like, he's one of the gods. Right, yeah, I know. Right, yeah. It's, blasphemy so you can find me on gab uh truth truth seeker 8487 you can find me here now every monday and occasionally on the independence gang okay awesome <laughs> well thank, th- you. <laughs> thank you all um a couple reminders let me just make a couple reminders to the audience we have book club august 14th which is this book Fossil Future by Alex Epstein. And if you want to know how to rationally consider environmental issues where human flourishing is the standard that's used for decision making, it's a good book to read. Um, And you can follow us. uh, I already mentioned on Twitter. We've got a lot of other shows. 451 Degrees is every Tuesday. Rebel Civics is Wednesdays. Dangerous Thoughts on Thursdays. Token Minority Report on... Dangerous Thoughts is Wednesday night. Token Minority Report on Thursday. Um... Thanks again for joining, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks very much. Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server, which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. 
The content of this production is known by the state of California to cause unregulated ideation that may be harmful to bureaucrats. Association with the following individuals, or tacos, is strictly prohibited. Apropos of nothing, I was just wondering how would you feel about another pandemic? Your president is in full control of his mental faculties. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice courtesy. Never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.